Listeners are probably familiar with that song. That's We Got the Beat by the all-female rock band The Go-Go's from their 1981 album Beauty and the Bee. It's a song written by guitarist Charlotte Caffey, and Caffey will be the guest on this episode of the Goldmine Podcast. This is Patrick Prince, editor of Goldmine, the music collector's magazine since 1974. And you could go to goldminemag.com to find out more. Charlotte Caffey will be interviewed for this episode. She'll talk about their debut album, We Got the Beat, and a new documentary about the Go-Go's simply titled The Go-Go's, which will air on Showtime in August. There's a lot to the story of the Go-Go's. They weren't manufactured in the IRS Records corporate warehouse. The band were a part of the Los Angeles punk scene for some time. Their members were a big part of the scene for years before the Go-Go's were even officially a band. Charlotte, along with vocalist Belinda Carlisle, Gina Schock on drums, Kathy Valentine on bass, Jane Wobblin on guitars, and former members, bassist Margot Oliveira and drummer Alyssa Bello were as punk as anyone on that scene in L.A. It was only... Later, that the band decided to add more of a pop flavor to their music. Now, we had Kathy Valentine on the podcast before promoting her autobiography, but we'll have Charlotte give her angle of the go-go story. But first, let's give a chance to save on records with this promo. Art has value. That's right. Go to decoentertainment.com and save 10% off at checkout with the code GOLDMINE. From artists like Angel, The Vibrators, White Lion's Mike Tramp, Kansas's Steve Walsh, and others. That's DecoEntertainment.com. Hey, is this Pat? Yeah. Oh, hey, Pat. It's Charlotte Caffey calling. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? Thanks for being on time. <laughs> oh, I, I'm always on. I'm so on rock. I'm so on time all the time. So what do you think about uh, the documentary, first of all? I love it. I, I'm so happy with it. I think that Allison Elwood is an amazing storyteller and really wove the story in a way that shows who the band is, not like not like the, uh, you know, VH1 behind the music that just showed like, oh, they fight and they have problems. You know, so what? Yes. You know, who cares? I mean, you're in a relationship, you know, of course you're going to have ups and downs, especially over 40 years, so... You know, it's. Um, I loved it. I thought it was really, really well done, and I'm really, really happy and excited for people to see it. And it also shows our beginnings in the punk scene that a lot of people don't know. I got to say, that is uh, my favorite part, because I was turned on to music, specifically your band, The Eyes, uh, that I didn't uh-huh. know about before. Now, you know, I'm a record collector. Um, I looked on Discogs to see if there was any eyes vinyl and there isn't much there's a seven inch and um something with the dickies when you guys played live but you're going right, to turn you're right. going to turn people on to uh new sounds well it's it's interesting because you know in the documentary uh kathleen hannah talked about i had no idea like that she knew like you know don't talk to me you know that song that was um that we was on a single, you know, our first beat. I think we were on a flip side of a single on what records. Um, and it, um, 
and I was really happy. And she even started singing it, uh, <laughs> which was amazing. Yeah. And I think it was actually in the same key, which was even more amazing. I was like, oh, my God. Now, did you, so you must have, um, I mean, there's a line in there that the Go-Go's wouldn't have happened if they're, if it weren't for the L.A. punk scene. So you must have, it was like a community, right? You knew all the bands. I didn't grow up in that time. I grew up on the East Coast, so I always wondered, uh, you know, what it was like in that scene, you know, with the Germs and X and other bands. So you pretty much hung out with that whole, all those people, right? Yeah, yeah, the um, the mask, uh, the underground club, the right. mask, uh, that one, that was kind of like ground zero for, uh, I think in late 77, uh, there's a, I think that they started having shows. I know that the Eyes played one of the first shows there, and um, it was uh, really exciting. Um, I had been in a couple different bands prior to that, just uh kind of just having fun but you know the eyes was the first ones where i just we got to play at you know some really cool places and we i don't know it was just a uh a, a very cool moment in time i'm always grateful that i was part of that we had so much fun i mean the math was just insane it was like you go down these Stairs. It, I mean, that's why the fire department would always shut down shows. It's such a fire hazard, and it's a big cement room, so you can imagine the acoustics in there were like crazy. And inevitably, at the end of every weekend, there would be broken toilets and like you know, it was just and, and that's where we rehearsed too. So uh, the motel. I remember we shared a room with the motel. X and the motel and the motels. We kind of like you know rotated our times of. Uh, rehearsing and um it was a very very fun very creative very free time you know it was like all about self-expression that the punk rock movement and that's exactly what happened there yeah i i was seeing how jane said that she felt powerful powerful for the first time in her life probably because um you know it's there was sort of this liberating creativity to it where you didn't have to follow the rules you just express yeah, yourself. Yeah, no rules. Right. Yeah, no, no rules. And that's why, you know, Belinda, when they started thinking about forming a band, they were like, well, we'll just put an all-girl band together, you know. Let's do that. Yeah. And, and that totally appealed to me because, you know, there was already, I think, four members of the band, and then they asked me to join. And 
and then we started rehearsing. Um, I missed the first gig because I was in England with the Dickies, because um, Leonard Phillips was my boyfriend at the time. But um, so I, they had played. They played like two and a half songs at the mix. <laughs> they only knew like they they'd only we only rehearsed like they only rehearsed like I think two songs, and so they played one over. I don't know. It was a really funny story, but. Um, so when I got back from England, shortly after that, we started rehearsing. So that's how that the whole thing just started. And then we just never stopped, like literally for 40 years. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> and here you were, you were pretty much classically trained on piano, right? I mean, you knew musical theory. Yeah. And here you go right into the punk scene, which <laughs> it was. Well, you know what? I consciously thought, oh. I just had to forget all that shit. I mean, you know, it's like, no, this is, has nothing. And it was, that was a very freeing thing. It's complete, like nothing. There are no rules. You write what you right. want to write and you play the way, I, I mean, I didn't, I played piano and I also played, like, you know, I had tinkered around on the acoustic guitar, mm-hmm. but I had never played electric guitar until uh, Geza X. I don't know if you know Geza, but, um, he was part of the scene, and you know, um, he he actually recorded uh, "Don't Talk to Me," um, and he uh, lived in this house, a little house in Hollywood, West Hollywood. And his roommate had his, the only thing he had in his bedroom was a mattress and a Marshall a Marshall amp with a Les Paul. Those are the three things that were in that room. <laughs> So I was, and then I went in there and I picked up the guitar and turned that amp up. I just played an E chord. It was the greatest feeling I think I'd ever had in my life. And I was like, oh my God. So when Belinda said, hey, you know, do you want to join the band? We need lead guitar. I was like, hell yeah. So, and that's where that came from. And then, you know, it was, it, it was just, you know, that whole time was really, really something else. Well, you have one of the best lines in the documentary. I see if I, I think you said something like you looked pretty straight, but you had a twisted mind. <laughs> that that's true. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, I've been very open about my drug addiction and my, right. you know, that struggle. And um, but as of last February, right before we shut everything down, I had celebrated thirty-five years of sobriety, yeah. real sobriety. Congratulations! The kind that you don't. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't partake in any chemicals whatsoever. And, um, but it's, uh, it's, um, you know, I, I, that was just what I was going through at the time. So, and I managed to enjoy myself a hell of a lot, but also, you know, it's just dual life. It was, it was, and that was my twisted mind too. Was like, you know, I had to like figure out how to manage that. It was really a full, another full time job I was doing. So. Well, I also yeah. saw it as you didn't want to live the status quo life as a creative person. You wanted to do something different. Um, it wouldn't. You didn't want to seem like the the normal suburban person. <laughs> You'd be bored with that. Um, well, well, maybe, yeah. <laughs> but you also loved music at a really young age, right? I mean, I did. I did. I was very, uh, I started playing piano at four, but I also started listening to the radio when I was like five years old. Like, you know, back then it was like a couple radio stations in LA 
And, you know, it, I love songs. I just, uh, th- that's what, what I grew up on was songs. Like, uh, the you know, whatever was on the, you know, top 40 radio station. And at that time, it was amazing because mm. there was all sorts of, you know, it wasn't just like, oh, here's the the pop station and here's this. It was all mixed together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and then I saw the Beatles when I was 12 years old. Um and the second to the last uh, date of their uh, American tour in 1966. And then my next uh, concert, because I went to a crap load of concerts always. I loved live music. Uh, my next concert was Led Zeppelin, their very first tour wow. in the state, and Jethro Tull was opening. So it was <laughs> like this bookend of the Beatles, and then you have Led Zeppelin, Jethro Tull, yeah. and everything in between, you know? Right. So, yeah. Well, I like that part in the documentary where you say you would take uh, a 45 by Elvis and then put on some classical music with records. Johan Strauss, yeah. Yeah. You're right. So do you and still do you still collect right. records? Do you have records around? You had it at well, such an early I'm age? Well, I'm married to Jeff McDonald of Red Cross, and let's put it this way. We have, yeah, he's a... He's a record collector. I have records. I, we have a whole closet full that we call it the media closet, which is not really. But, you know, we have things like the collector, you know, our all our original uh, vinyl. And, right. um, yeah, yes. I mean, I love, of course, you know, I'm sure you've spoken to people that love that ritual when you yes. would get. I remember specifically getting the white album because. We, I went to an all-girls high school. Actually, it's the school, it's Immaculate Heart High School that uh, Meghan Markle went to and, and um, <clears throat> in Hollywood, Immaculate Heart. And we, when we got, when I got the White Album, I brought it to school and I hadn't opened it yet, but I opened it there. We, like during lunch, we would listen, you know, like in some classroom who had a record, they had a record player. And um, it was, I just loved that ritual of those. Mm. When you would open a record, an album, uh, and that smell, number yeah. one, and you take, you know, and you get to the, you get to look at the lyrics. It was just it, everything about that was so amazing. And now it's different, but that's okay. It's just progress, you know. True, but I also like how you you make it. I I, I don't know if it was you, but at the beginning of the documentary. Uh, someone says people automatically assume we were put together by some guy, but we did it yeah. ourselves. Was that kind of a reference to the Runaways and other, you know, bands, all-girl bands? I saw the Runaways. I mean, I love the Runaways. Joan and, you know, yeah. I mean, come on. You know, that was that was really cool. But we, did, yeah, I mean, people just would automatically think, oh, like, you know, someone put them together and yeah, it wasn't, a song it, with them and right. told them what to wear, you know, that kind of shit. And it's like, no. It, and we were completely our own, like, organic, or we right. were organically grown within, with each other, yeah. Like you weren't made in a lab, like as some gimmick, no. right? No, no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was cool that you also, your first, I mean, you, you were the house band at the Whiskey. I mean, that is just, that must, when you were playing, when the Go-Go's were playing there, was that during your time or was that just before you joined the band? I started the band, like with Belinda, Jane, me, and 
Alyssa and Margo, we were the original members. Right. And so, yeah, we I was there from when Belinda and uh, Margo, I was playing, I mean, here's, here's the story, I was playing at the Starwood. Yes. Um, and it was the jam, the Dickies and the Eyes. And um, they came up to me, Belinda and Margo, and after, they said, we're putting together an all-girl band. Do you want to join? We need a lead guitarist. And I said, sure. Do you play lead guitar? Yeah. That was a lie, because I didn't. But um, I figured I could learn. And... Um, so we started, you know, rehearsing when I got back from, I went to England briefly, and I got back and we started rehearsing, and then we got some gigs, and our first gigs were the worst things I've ever heard in my life. It was horrifying. We were terrible. But there was something there. It was just something mm-hmm. like, whoa, okay, we just kept rehearsing. And then when we got Gina in the band, she kicked our asses, like, you know, she was like, we have to rehearse every night. we got to get better. And I'm like, Really? And we did, and we did get better. So, yeah, and then Kathy joined, and that was a, let's see, Gina joined, we started in 1978, and then Gina joined in 1979, and Kathy joined in 1980. So that's how it went. Well, what's interesting about that story, how you said you lied and said you knew how to play guitar, is that you went up to Kathy, right, and asked her if she... Yeah, and Kathy lied. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) She had never played bass, so it's so funny. We we talked about that. It's like the perfect Did you? thing that that changed that that little those two little lies that changed our lives. You know. Were you suspicious, thinking, okay, she doesn't know how to play bass, or how are you feeling about you that? You know what? It, it was just that she she came into those she she played at the whiskey. There were eight shows because there were four. Like, let's see, there were four nights, two shows a night that we had sold out on the, the New Year's Eve run from like a December 30, 31, 1 and 2, I think, of that 1980 going into 1981, she blew blew us away. She was fantastic. Mm. And it was like, if that cha- and that was just it. That was, we're, you know, it felt like the picture was complete right then. You know, with Gina having replaced Alyssa and Kathy having replaced Margot, that was just, in my mind, like, okay, we're, this is this feels really good. And Everyone Ka- was on the same page and right. moving in the same direction. Yeah. yeah, and Kathy still kicks ass. I mean, I, I heard her new stuff that went along with her um, autobiography, and uh, wow, the, oh, mu- yeah. the music yeah. was so yeah. good. <laughs> um, yeah. Not that I'm surprised, but it really sounded contemporary and heavy and uh, cutting edge. It, it was so good. Um, so... It goes to show how you guys still have it. You still have that creative energy. Yep. It never went away. Yeah. But uh, back to, I think, when you had Kathy replace Margot. Margot was more interested in being punk than moving over well, to more pop. Here's the thing. It, it, you're not, we're not just saying, oh, we're going to be a pop band now. We've always... You, it's like our saying is you can take uh, the girl out of the punk, but you can't take the punk out of the girl. Mm. We are still those girls that we mm. were back in 1978. We're still that tough, you know, funny, raucous. That's who we are. But, you know, the music was evolving, and once the first record was made, you know, Richard Goddard, 
as much as we hated it when we first heard that record, mm. we un- I, I understood we understood quickly that you know I wanted to be on the radio. I grew up with listening to right. AM radio with those rec- radio stations that played top forty, mm-hmm. but all different kinds from rock to pop to whatever you know. And it's like that's what the lists were back then, and I wanted that. And so we, if we had recorded the record the way like we sounded live, mm. we wouldn't have gotten there because we right. were too. It was too radical. It was too, it, it, there's no way we would have gotten on the radio. Right. Because we we were, and so we still are. Just I mean, on live, we're very minimal setup. Jane has two Marshall amps. I've got like a you know a Fox. AC30 and a, a Fender Deluxe and one bo- you know one box to boost my leads and it's just very punk and very that's just who we are. Mm. So we didn't decide we were going to be become pop because that just kind of happened to us in a way. And that's why people never knew about the punk rock days because they just figured, "Oh, look at this new band on the scene." Right. Like they had no idea where we came from. <laughs> so well, you kind of made the transition in the songwriting. I mean, um, I, maybe pop is a, a bad word. It was more rock well, than it's a, punk. Yeah, it's a hard thing to, because the, the, melodically it was pop. See, what we were doing is what exactly what Green Day, you know, and we, yes. Billy Joe's a good friend of ours, and um, we wrote a song with him on one of our records, and, and he's fantastic, fucking amazing and so talented. And that's kind of like what Green Day with these really melodic, but they're punky. And mm-hmm. that's, that's what we sounded like back then. We were incredibly melodic, but the way we played was just raw. And then when we recorded, it was just Richard Goddard just took it a little bit. He had this vision about what he, you know, to highlight the songs, because the songs on that first record are extraordinary. Yes. And in my mind, and I can look at it like as if I never wrote a note of them. I just like listen to it going, wow, these are really, like I love these songs. And um, so it's cool. And yeah, so it's kind of like, I think that's where people, you know, and then the, the press started calling us America's Sweethearts. Well, if they only fucking knew, you know, like we were not America's Sweethearts, number one. <laughs> Yeah, you know, no way. So, but it's just so funny, like the perception, you know. Well, what I love is that when you wrote uh, "We Got the Beat," you introduced a sort of surf rock riff in there, um, and it just yeah. well, that's one of the great things about a band they that you bring in all types of different influences. Well, right? that's the way I played guitar because the reality was, and this is the truth, that I was not a guitar player in the sense of like, oh, I know how to get sounds on my amps and stuff. And I was always trying to get a sustain on the guitar amp because I, because it sounded too choked when I played it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I had a, I had a twin reverb. You cannot really get, I mean, unless I had a master volume on there and that, that one did not, it was pre CBS. It didn't have a, a master volume. Anyway, um, I, so I would turn the reverb up and that's how I got, that's how I started playing like really surfy guitar lines. Mm. And if you listen to that first record, I guess, yeah, it's all over there. Like with, you know, this town and I mean, uh, you know, that, that's the kind of thing. So, but that, and I also love surf music. I mean, I loved, I grew up with all that. So it made sense. 
Plus, she wrote the song while watching The Twilight Zone, correct? So that is true. <laughs> maybe that had I, I a little. I can't remember which. I can't remember which episode. I wish I could, but that, you know. But then everything just sort of blew up, you know, like it just changed overnight where you went from playing small clubs to stadiums. Here you are, you intersect with the popularity of MTV and it must've been surreal to go from, you know, being a punk band in the clubs to all of a sudden, you know, everyone knows you. (laughs) It's sort of like Beatlemania in a way. Well, it was, um, you know, we wanted to, we had no idea, you know, our idea of like, God, if we could just sell a hundred thousand records, wouldn't that be like, that would be it. Like that would be the greatest thing in the world. We had no idea that what was going to happen. And to be quite honest, that whole time when it was exploding and happening so quickly, it was very scary. It was very overwhelming. It wasn't like, Whoa, I'm just going to revel in this. You know, I mean, it it was frightening for me. I'm not speaking for the other girls. I was just like, Wow. And um, I'm a little more private than all that. And yeah. um, and luckily, we didn't grow up in the age of, like, cell phones and, you know, social media, because that would have been brutal for us, because we were just out of control and out of our mind. Like, you know, we partied all the time, and it was just like anything went, and, you know, we did a lot of work, let's put it that way. We worked our asses off. Right. <clears throat> and But, but going uh, in the limelight like that, and... That probably had a lot of stress on the band itself, and of course, no anything. The change, the amount of work we did was insane. It was insane, and we didn't know how to say no. And Miles Copeland's record, you know, he had just started Mm -hmm. IRS Records, and you know, it's like they were a baby company, we were a baby band, we were all just trying, like, oh, okay, yes, well, okay, fine. They would give us these schedules every day of like five million interviews, and like, you know. Yes. Go and then we play our show. You know, it was, and plus on top of it, we were partying and having the time of our lives and, you know, whatever. <laughs> but, you it's know, exhausting. Burn out. Yeah. It can totally burn out. So. Well, just watching the documentary, all the spots you had to do. Hi, this is Charlotte for MTV. <laughs> what was it like? Oh, just fun. schedule. Yeah. Charlotte, you got to do MTV today. <laughs> that yeah, well, in itself could be exhausting. It was all new and. We had no idea. We were just on a ride that we just were riding. It was like, and we, look, we have a tremendous amount of, you know, memories and, and right. fun. And, you know, we don't, we don't wish we were living it again. None of us do that. But it's like, it was, we are so grateful that we got, we're the most grateful for is the punk rock scene in LA because right. that's what spawned everything. And that was pre getting signed and it was just there was something about that time of my life that it was so freeing and open and just no anything went and there were no rules and that was my favorite like that was a great time in, right you know, where there wasn't any pressure right you know because when you get so big it becomes more of a business than you know yeah and the pressure you know and like who you're an artist you don't want to think about music business you know, but you, but now, and we learned that that's something you have to understand. It's right. important to understand it right. because it's part of, it's part of it, you know. And nowadays there's, you know, all sorts of aspects to it and people can, it's kind of cool though because people can go back 
have gone back to doing DIY stuff because there's so many ways of presenting yourself like YouTube or whatever, you know, and mm. it's a very different world, but it's, um, yeah. Well, as one of the main songwriters, it's got to be so different than wanting to write a song and having to write a song, and especially like pressure to hit, write a hit song. <laughs> so that in itself, as a songwriter, not just a band member, had to be extra pressure pressure on you. Well, I think with the second record, you know, it was scary because it was like, oof, okay, how are we going to top that? And then Kathy showed me vacation it was a song that she had in her old band the tech tones yeah and i said to her i said to her you know something i think with a little work this could really like the, i felt like the chorus wasn't like i wanted the chorus to lift i i really felt like there was something more there like this was a sketch this was a sketch right and it wasn't finished quite yet and it was hard and it was scary to ask her because i don't would never want to step on anyone's creativity or anything and she was totally open to it and we sat down and worked on it and really that song is great and really just just grabbed a moment you know and it's like um and i you know i was really happy i took that risk and said something to her you know i don't think the song would have made it on the record had it not so And then it became the whole basis of the, uh, you know, album with the right. album cover and everything, which is so mad, uh, so great. It's almost going to be 40 years since uh, Beauty and the Beat. Does that feel almost surreal to you? <laughs> you know, it's, we've had some several milestones over the years and kind of does. Yeah. But, you know, I love our quote from when we were the baby, sassy baby band that we were, that's why I call it the baby band, but young band that we were went back then, when we would laugh hysterically saying, can you imagine when we're like 40 or 50 wearing mini skirts? And that's never going to happen. We would always wear mini skirts on stage. Well, we still wear mini skirts if we <laughs> want to. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's a, it's a strange thing uh, how when you get older, like we still feel like, the same people but yeah. we just happen to be years older but certainly internally i don't know if we'll ever grow up you know in a, as, as what's expected you know well what's next for you and and the go-go's do you have music yourself we hope to get um our touring right because you know we have it redone for next year we have dates already you know booked and stuff so we'll see what happens i mean but we've all know that we've been very no guidance here most of the you know the nation and so we're stuck in this pandemic nightmare and um it's really bad you know we're we're in this very serious situation and yes. you know hopefully hopefully the vaccines are going to be you know uh come come forward and work and be and help people because it's really frightening you know, it's just frightening. But I think that we need new guidance and we need some people that are really going to, like, you know, take over and restore 
there's been a lot of damage. So we're we're very much you know want to see that happen as well. And um, anyway, that's you know what I and I think at the end of this, when we get things under control, which we will, it's just we've taken a detour here. I think that the live performances by many bands is going to be so important because people are going to need to be uplifted, you know, again. Yes. And so that's what I, I know for for the Go-Go's fans and anybody who will come to our shows, if, we get, if we're fortunate enough to get to play next summer, that that will happen. And it will be really good for everyone's, like, you know, life. People will so be energized. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So um, but it was really nice talking yeah, to you. Yeah, well... I Thank you for taking the time for Goldmine again. I know you've yeah. we've interviewed qu- you quite a few times, and and yeah, good luck yeah. with everything. And I'd love to hear your solo stuff too. I know you said you were uh, tinkering with that, so um, yeah, I, I always tinker with that. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, thank you so much. Thanks, Charlotte. Okay, bye bye. Bye now. Thanks, Charlotte. Everyone listening, don't forget to watch the documentary The Go-Go's on Showtime, airing in August. It's worth the watch, and you'll see a side of The Go-Go's that you probably never expected. Now, don't forget to go to goldmymag.com for other exclusive content and pick up the print edition at select newsstands like Barnes & Noble and Books A Million. This is Pat Prince signing off. Catch you next time on The Goldmine Podcast. For the ones finding new ways to ensure the job always gets done. For the ones wearing many hats. For the ones who are hands-on, even from far away. And the ones keeping business moving forward. We are Granger, Offering professional-grade industrial supplies, plus real-time product availability, and access to experts ready to answer your toughest questions. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.